Hello and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Philip Barrar. Philip is the founder of Milo. Milo is a savings and investment platform that uses roundups as a powerful nudge tool to help people become better savers. With that, here's my interview with Philip. Hello, Philip. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Philip Barra, CEO of Milo. Tell us about Milo. Milo, we are the Canadian app that rounds up your purchases and invests in spare change, all to be able to help Canadians achieve their financial goals. Uh, many Canadians today aren't saving investing at all, and Milo makes it as easy as spending on your existing credit and debit cards to be able to put money aside and uh, work towards those goals. Okay. So we'll dive into that shortly, but tell me about the journey of what caused you to start Milo. Absolutely. So I was actually born in the U.S., um, raised in the U.S., and actually came to Canada for university. Um, so you have a complicated tax situation is what you're telling me. I have a very complicated tax situation, but luckily I'm a dual citizen, so that worked out well. And I was actually able to go to school for uh, quite affordable. I got the Quebec State tuition rate, which was about $3,000 a year versus you know some of the U.S. schools was looking at about $50,000 a year. I was going to say, our U.S. listeners just had heart attacks. <laughs> exactly. So for me, I mean, it was a financially wise decision to come to Montreal. And, and besides that, uh, it's a beautiful city. And, and, and so besides being the right financial choice, it ended up being the right life choice as well. Ended up staying here after uh, I graduated and you know, I, was, I was very involved in university. Started the entrepreneurship minor over at Concordia. I was the president of the Entrepreneurship Management Association. So when it came time to actually graduating and deciding what I wanted to do with my life, I decided to go and start a business. A big surprise. So I bootstrapped my first business and I quickly learned the difference between self-employment and actually building a scalable business. So I built an awesome product. I outsourced the product development overseas. I was you know, doing sales during the day and product development at night, um, really working, burning the candles on both ends. But I was in a B2B industry where it was a long sales cycle and not a revenue generator for, for the industry. So it was an awesome product, but it was not a scalable business, uh, limited target size uh, as well. So I moved on into my second business, which was a consumer-facing business. Quickly grew that. Uh, it was helping students get the restaurant discounts during off-peak uh, hours. You know, students having crazy schedules and leaving class at three o'clock so they could get these awesome restaurant discounts and uh, helping restaurants fill the non-peak uh, hours uh, as well. Quickly grew that to 250 restaurants and 25,000 users in Montreal and sold that to a marketing agency within six months. So um, during that journey, became really good with personal finance, became really good with making a dollar stretch. As a bootstrap entrepreneur, I wanted to live the same quality of life as my friends making six figures at tech, tech companies, but uh, putting every dollar... It's a tall ambition there, okay? <laughs> it is a very tall ambition. I did manage to live the same quality of life, and it's because I, I learned how to price hack, I learned how to manage my money very well. And soon enough, I was uh, teaching my friends and family how to save on, on different financial products, different things that they could be doing where they're, they're spending their money. So one of the things that I had kind of the leg up on was I was an American citizen. I had access to all these great fintech apps that Canadians didn't have access to uh, back in 2010, 2015. So I said, you know what, I want to take the best in class of what helped me be successful in my personal finance uh, journey and, and, and be able to build the best in class product for, for Canadians. And that's how we started with Milo. Good. So, okay, let's go back to the core app. So basically what you did was you took the concept of roundups, which let's be fair, you didn't invent. Uh, that's what's been floating around. It's been implemented um, even by the likes of, well, when ING Direct was around, I remember they were doing stuff like that too. But nevertheless, what you did was you took that concept, packaged it into an app, and I guess 
essentially built it for a different user experience. And you've, you've been successful with that ever since. Is that about right? Yes and no. So yeah. what I would say is tactically, the Roundup's been around for a while and, and, and that's been a big part of our success. But we didn't say, let's just take the Roundup and, and move forward with it. What we said is Canada has a largely underbanked population. Uh, you know, we think that we have a very stable banking infrastructure. You know, we did really well during the last recession. But at the end of the day, Canadians are not saving investing their money. And there's a reason why that was happening. So we decided that we wanted to go and, and, and make an impact with that. And found that one first 53% of Canadian millennials have less than $1,000 in their bank accounts. So that was a, a shocking stat that keeps you up at night, regardless of how much money you make. Um, but the second part, you know, we have all these great products and services. Why aren't people doing this? So it comes down to financial inclusion. How do you make products more accessible and more affordable? And it's really about how do you remove the friction points? Right. And that's what we did. Open up investment accounts without a phone call, be able to get started with no account minimums, fractional trading, be able to make it as accessible as your dating apps and your traveling apps and be able to, to do so without. I don't know how successful you'll be compared to a dating app, but nevertheless. Um. <laughs> You'd be surprised, you know, you get a lot of people who uh, come swipe, back. To, swipe left to save, <laughs> swipe right, swipe right to spend. Wipe your credit card to save. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, it, this yeah that's true. So that, you know what? There you go. That's your new tagline. I just gave it to you. <laughs> <laughs> swipe to save <laughs> swipe to save but uh, I mean this idea of, of very transparent pricing affordable pricing taking down all the barriers is what led us to do so and, and the roundup was a great way to start the relationship so it's interesting you hit on a couple of interesting trends notes and studies that I've heard of um, so specifically we think to ourselves, there's this entire ecosystem that exists out there. People want to do this. It exists. Why aren't they saving more? You know, and there's financial literacy stuff just thrown up everywhere by every association uh, known to man. And basically, when tested on this, people who do even, say, use a conventional robo-advisor end up saving piddly amounts, right? Like way under what they should be because a lot of it is around, a lot of what we've done is about, hey, open this account, do this type of account. It's not like Based on what you're doing, you should be saving X. Like that's that's typically not been part of the value proposition to a lot of these like robos and startups. And the other thing is, is that as much as we think there's a lot out there, I, you know, I've known of behavioral studies where they've sat down educated people from other areas of of the of the economy and said, okay, basically, you know, we, your job is to figure out how to invest your money. You're a young professional. Go ahead. And the first thing they would do is open up Google and they would freeze because they wouldn't know what to type in the box, right? And it's like, you know, they type in how to invest and then they'd ignore the first, you know, all the paid stuff at the top. Mm -hmm. And then like the next thing you know is the next link would be how to set up your own discount brokerage account. And it's like, no, like this is not, you know, a lot of the do-it-yourself, you know, the stuff that's out there is do-it-yourselfer based. And these are people who want to take advantage of basically having someone uh, take their, their, well, handle their investments versus people who don't want that. They want help, right? So I commend you on, on doing what you can to reduce friction because friction, that's important. So tell me about the roundup process. So, you know, what kind of control over how much gets done? Like, well, how high are you rounding up? Tell me about this entire value chain experience from the cons for the consumer from beginning to end, I guess. Absolutely. So you get started by most likely seeing one of our Facebook ads and a lot of people have, have seen them and, and that's what drives them into the funnel. So typically it's not uh, someone actively looking to uh, go out and say, how do I open up my first investment account? But the message resonates with them. They, they see an ad, they, they see the dragons on clip and said, you know, this is something that's clever. I should be doing this. They have a little voice in the back of their head that says, you should be saving and investing your money. We should all be dieting too. Like, I mean, this is, the, we, we all know these are the things we need to do, but it's habit, right? 
So they, they, they see this as a, an easy way to get started. So they typically go to our, our either landing page or uh, Google Play or Apple App Store, download the app. They go through about a three to five minute sign-up process, goes through basic information, name, address, employer, income. You link your bank by logging in with your online banking credentials directly to the Milo application. And then you go through and answer a series of five KYC questions. With all of those things, you can then shut down the application, go about living your daily life. And every time you make a purchase, Milo tracks that roundup in real time. And what we do is we accumulate all of those roundups for you throughout the course of the week. And then uh, that's on any credit and debit cards that you may have linked directly to the Milo application. And then once a week, we take an aggregate of all those roundups as a pre-authorized debit from your checking account. We move that money into your Milo investment account. So it's a clever way of doing a recurring deposit that's variable based off spending, typically in the ballpark of uh, $10 to $30 per week, depending on your spending and your multiplier that you, you may have turned on. And it helps people go from not saving anything at all to putting away the first $1,000 in the course of the year. And, and, and that's the roundup. Beyond that, they have the ability to put in one-time deposits and recurring deposits and a whole bunch of other funding rules for people to have full control over. So once they get comfortable with the idea and get started, then they expand that relationship uh, beyond just the roundup. Excellent. So, I mean, you know, you're taking um, tiny sums that they're not going to miss. And frankly, saying you spent three seventy-five on this coffee at Starbucks, let's just, can we have the other quarter? It's not a very difficult value proposition for someone to say, yeah, it's the quarter, but it's interesting. So your stats are telling you how much is the average savings after like say the first month on a weekly basis? What's that, what's that look like? So typically between 10 to $30 in, in, in roundups. Yeah. Um, and then from there, uh, people go on about 75% of our user base actually enables recurring deposits on the transfers as well. So they'll put in a, a bit more above the roundup and stay comfortable with the concept. So what's the trigger for that? Are they receiving an email saying, hey, you've done $30 this week and they say, you know what, I can do more? Or are they like, what's, what are you doing to nudge them in that direction? Absolutely. So, I mean, the way that we've set up the product is, is, is really not investment focused, but more about life goal focused, right? Awesome. So rather than going and saying you have a financial account with Milo and I have $200 in my investment account, it is, I'm saving for a vacation, I'm saving for a down payment on a house, and maybe an emergency fund. So you set up three goals, and each one of those goals have a funding account. You put timelines associated with it, so it's just a way to be able to accelerate towards the achievement of a goal. What happens is each one of those goals, you have your global risk profile that gets assigned to you based off the KYC questions you have, but each one of those goals has its own risk profile. So your money may be invested differently for your, your vacation fund that you want to go and to, to Spain in six months, then you're down payment on the house. So that's yeah, so goals-based investing. So exactly what we should all be doing. Yeah. So that's that's great. So tell me about so you basically once you round this up, you're sending it off to your investment platform, which is a take it a robo advisor. It is a robo advisor. Back in 2017, we acquired an asset management firm, Tactics Asset Management. We launched a, a few funds that hold underlying ETFs. These are all no fee funds. There's no management fee on any of our products uh, whatsoever. The only fees that our users pay are the underlying MER fees, typically in the basis points of 15 to 20 basis point uh, MERs. We buy very vanilla index funds. Four funds are money market equity, fixed income, and a social responsible investing fund that would swap out with our equity fund. And a blend of those, those each holding three to five ETFs would make up our overall investment strategy. Yeah. And frankly, you know, we're not talking about people who are large accredited investors who need to, you want to start thinking about like hedge fund stuff. Like these are people getting started, right? So like 
let's let's not worry about what you know what limited access stuff looks like or private debt and debenture looks like. Like, like let's get away from that and let's just focus on the fundamentals. So I commend you for that. So a couple of things to talk about there, uh, points that you made. First off, I want to make a comment about your website. Um, nice and clean. But what I really find compelling about what you just said is the fact that nowhere on this site does it look like you're selling a robo advisor. Mm-hmm. Right. So like you're the you're like the phantom robo advisor. <laughs> like you kind of you kind of lie uh, behind the behind the scenes there. So if you're not monetizing alpha robo advisor fee, tell me about how you're monetizing. Absolutely. So we are a volume based play where we charge a one dollar or three dollar a month subscription fee for two different plans uh, that we have. And we will continue to be very transparent and charge uh, subscription fees for products that we, we offer to our users. And we try to make that price point very easy and accessible for, for everyone. So in our $1 a month plan, you have access to non-registered accounts, you have weekly withdrawals in your investment account, and, and pretty much access to a portfolio manager anytime. With our Advantage product, you have access. So that was $1 a month for our $3 a month product. We have uh, TFSAs and RSPs. We have actually shortened the settlement period down to one day to be able to get your money back uh, within one business day back to you. We have the social responsible investing. And then with both of those products, we actually have uh, cashback perks. So you're paying $1 or $3 a month, but you're getting anywhere between 5 to $40 in cashback offers from some of the brands that we have on the platform. Everything from Uber to Amazon to Burton directly there. Excellent. So, I mean, you know, you kind of, I got to tell you, you really are staying true to what you said your mission is. You're trying to help people save more. So, I mean, it's an interesting combination. You're using a, you know, something that's well known behavioral finance, which is the roundup, you know, not missing incremental sums. You're using another couple of nudges, another behavioral finance term. The cashbacks are fantastic because essentially you're just doing affinity marketing and, and giving back some of that. And you're just doing this all on a, on a fee-based platform. So that's you know, well done. So essentially you've done, okay, so you've established yourself initially in Canada. You've expanded to Europe though. So talk to me about what the decision was about where to expand to. And as always comes up is when are you going to the States and are you going to go to the States? So let's, let's talk about that. And being from the States originally, you know, everyone kind of uh, shuns me a little bit for, for not going back. Your family's but, like, why aren't you here? <laughs> why aren't you going back? When can I have your product? You know, everyone I grew up with, it's like, I want to use Milo. So, yeah, need more, you need more friends down there to, to scale it. Yeah, I say you don't have friends down there, but yeah, you need a pretty, pretty large group of people. So, um, so yeah, it's actually a really tough decision. We haven't officially launched yet, but we're in the process of, of doing so after our, our most recent fundraising announcement. And um, we did a worldwide analysis of, of where to look. We looked at uh, Asia, Africa, India, South America, and and some of the things that we were looking at is one. Can we build a product that's close enough to our core product that we don't have to completely reinvent ourselves? So we wanted to keep something very similar. Africa is very difficult because they they kind of went straight from cash directly to, to mobile, right? They're, they're missing that core kind of banking infrastructure. Over there. Blockchain in some cases. I mean, it's, it's quite incredible. It's amazing fintech innovation and, and there's a lot of stuff happening. It just wasn't the right fit for our product specifically. Mm-hmm. Some places uh, in, in Asia would be very difficult there. There's a, a culture of saving, but uh, also... If we weren't fully headquartered there and, and fully dedicated directly to that market with all of our resources, it's impossible to compete. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a believer that you, it's amazing how many companies, I typically find they're more so American and UK based ones that think they can port what they're doing over to any other English speaking country with little or no understanding of the culture. And 
Canada is a wasteland of those companies that thought they could come here and basically succeed. You know, my sister actually worked for Target, so that, that tells you everything you need to know there. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's I, so it's smart. You did the smart thing. You did you did the study, and you basically found what the key area you wanted to go to. So which where where deploying right now or looking to deploy? Yeah, so we're looking to deploy in the EU. And the things that we love about the EU, one, the open banking infrastructure and, and how can we deliver an awesome <laughs> banking experience? Oh, God, if only. Open banking infrastructure, sorry. <laughs> like, what's, what's it like to work with that? I'm sorry. <laughs> open banking infrastructure. That's a, that's a touchy uh, topic, but the, the nice thing about it is there's consumer awareness. Everyone knows this is happening. There's a, a level of trust and openness to be able to go through and, and use models like this, right? So that's, that's the nice part about it. Technically, it's a mess. Obviously. Yeah, I know the standards and protocols aren't in place. They just said do it, but no one actually said how. <laughs> and and the yeah. things that we see with screen scraping or data aggregation services in Canada and the US are banks will change their websites, the, the connections will break. Yeah. In, in Europe, banks are changing their APIs on a regular basis just to be able to make all the connections break. Right? This, oh, I'm so tired of this game of whack a mole. Like, it is the consumer's data. Stop being jerks about it. I mean, in Canada, more recently, one of the larger ones who shall go unnamed, but there's only five, so you can pick which one it was. I think it was last year, they just, or earlier this year, they, they finally launched two-factor authentication saying, oh yeah, this is a great security thing. This is why we're doing it. And meanwhile, it's like, you ask them, it's like, you're doing this to block the aggregators. And they're like, damn right, we're doing this to block the aggregators. And it's like, oh. And they play favorites. They, they go through and say, these are the fintechs we want to work with, and these are the fintechs that we don't. So we launched this, and the fintechs we like, we'll give you a backdoor. It's, oh, uh, if anyone's listening from, in, from the government of Canada, please put me on a committee to penalize these people for non-compliance, because you need to drop the hammer on them so hard. Oh. But, the, but back to Europe, the concept of making definitely works. The regulatory infrastructure, the fact that you can passport between countries very easily is the blessing. The fact that there's one single currency for all the EU is also incredible as well. They're very banked population using a debit and credit card uh, pretty often. Uh, no credit card, mostly debit card, the credit card over there. So for us... Chips and fries, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> everyone, everyone looks, it, you expand to the US, Australia, UK, New Zealand, um, all the English-speaking uh, countries, and everyone's scared to go to the EU because of the, the multicultural, multilingual aspect of, of that. And you know what? We're from Montreal. Montreal, it's, it, we've been bilingual from day one. It's in our yeah. DNA. It's, it's what we do. So it's a barrier to entry, but one we're willing to tackle. Uh, you know what's funny is, is speaking to many Canadian fintechs, the, yeah, I find talking to the American ones like, ah, but I got to go, you know, and there's the language issue. And we're all just like, what do you mean? You, you have, like, of course, you're going to develop things to be multi-domicile, multi-language, right? Like, it's just, yeah. we, we are so inbred into that. And not, I won't say just the, the US, I will say I get the same thing from, from Australian and, and New Zealand-based companies too. It's like, they're just not used to that world. So they're used to multi-domicile, they're not used to multilingual. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Oh God, open banking, that must be nice. <laughs> Even if it's a mess, I'd rather it be a mess than not exist, because eventually it'll get resolved. Good. So let's go back to the core product. Talk to me about what's basically worked best with this. Like, what have you done? You've talked about a couple of key nudges. I'm sure you've experimented with other things. What worked, what didn't work? You know, what are you doing to really drive motivation around, around changing behavior around savings? So interestingly enough, um, one of my funniest stories I, I tell people about this is when someone downloads the app, and, and we see this trend, 
people go through, hear about the app through some sort of social media, not through a word of mouth, typically go in, start the roundups, have the first deposit, put it into their, their Milo account, immediately go and withdraw the $20 from their Milo account, and then immediately put it back in. So <laughs> there's a, a level... a test to make sure that it exists? Is that what's going on? It, it's a level of Canadian trust that we're moving from a, a population that's you know only used financial products from, from banks and FIs to moving to a more technology-driven place. So um, and then through that, you know, that's how the relationship and, and trust builds and, and we, we grow from there. Let so me just go my Canadian banking rant. I am so tired of this populace having been, you know, we had the worst case of Stockholm syndrome when it comes to banking we've seen in my life. These companies convince us they got to be large and because that's security. Meanwhile, security is actually provided through regulation, not through their size and scale. And But meanwhile, they, they true, do everything they can to prevent competition, indoctrinate the public into believing that they need, to, they need the security of a large bank. And then they proceed to be, we proceed to be one of the most hosed populations for fees in the history of mankind. And then, and everybody turns to hate at least one bank, love another one, but they all love investing them because they pay a dividend to which I say, great, you give me a hundred dollars. I'll give you five back every year and you'll be happy. <laughs> like, anyway, that's my rant. Let me continue on. I, I, as you can tell, I, <laughs> I like competition because it reads options and lack of complacency and lack of exploitation. We don't have that in this country. But and FinTech is, is pushing that forward. And it's interesting. You, you said that regula- regulation is the one that protects the consumer, not the, the large banks. And you got back it. in 2015, 2016, I would say FinTechs in Canada were typically, oh, this regulatory landscape sucks. You know, we have to go through the regulators and take forever. Yeah, tech guys aren't used to rules, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But at the end of the day, I mean, we love it because for the exact reason that people are, are, are seeing whether or not the $20 exists is the reason why a regulatory uh, landscape exists. And, and we think it's extremely important because if one fintech was to come or quote unquote fintech was to come and, and do anything uh, devious with the product offering, it would ruin it for everyone, right? And, and that's not the message and it shouldn't in, in, in reality. So we actually love the regulatory landscape here and, and, and working with them. It's actually been quite pleasant, quite flexible. You'd be surprised, but I think the regulators here are great. Yeah, they've been, I've heard wonderful things about, you know, they've been far more forward thinking, uh, especially in recent years than they've been in the past. And frankly, you made the point about protection is what creates the trust and we need to trust, right? And the, you know, I look at my industry and every time some Yahoo person calling themselves an advisor without any credentialing and barely any regulation ends up stealing money from people, it's a black, it's a black mark on anyone who's actually doing the right job, right? And I think to myself, like, you know, imagine a recognized name robo turned out to be a massive scam right? You know, how much would that hurt everyone else in the fintech space, not just the robos, but everyone else. So yeah, the, you know, anytime we start dealing with other people's money, the bar for regulation should be incredibly high. But I will say it again, it's regulation and enforcement that does that, not the size of a bank. If anything, there's a counterproductive argument there about how that actually prevents proper enforcement because they become too powerful. So one of the other things I really like that you've done here is that you've basically also teamed up with Canada Helps in order to basically facilitate charitable giving. Can you talk to me about that? Absolutely. So using the Milo platform, you can set up a goal directly to donate to your favorite charity across Canada. Uh, working with Canada Helps, we're plugged into 86,000 charities across the country. And essentially, you can put your spare change to work either for you or for your favorite cause. So we have people donating to all their the causes they want. And then directly within the mile application, you get access to your charity receipts to use for tax purposes at the end of the year. So that's fantastic. So I also note here that you've talked about some concierge type services. Can you explain to me what, uh, what you're doing in that space? 
Absolutely. So we most recently launched a beta of uh, Milo Advisor. Milo Advisor is a messaging-based platform where you can ask one-off questions to a certified financial planner and be able to um, essentially get access to financial advice. Typically, these are things where people could get access on Google with maybe minutes to hours worth of research, but they want people to ask a reliable source that they trust. Things like, should I buy or lease a car? How much house can I afford? How do you negotiate a raise at work? Essentially having a, a financial buddy that's there to be able to help you with all aspects of financial life. And the beautiful thing about Milo is because you're plugged in directly to the Milo platform, then your, your banks are connect, directly connected. But you don't have to go through all of these series of budget and debt and all these random questions that, that you need just to get some value. You can get some immediate value with this one-off touch. So um, we're, we're really excited about that product and, and bringing that to market. Excellent. So one of the interesting things you said when we were kind of chatting before the um, uh, before the podcast started was that I talked about how I've been at conferences and advisors have just responded to fintechs on stage with just hatred because they see them as a threat. And one of the things that you said, and I commend you on because I see this as completely true, is you're not really in competition with advisors. You're trying to turn people who aren't savers and investors into savers and investors. Absolutely. And one of the really interesting stats that we don't really talk too, too much about uh, with Milo, so it's a little sneak, uh, sneak peek here. Most Milo users are high income users for the age group, meaning that if you're 24 years old and you're making $65,000, making more than median income. So these people do not have difficult earning money. They have difficult saving and investing their money, right? So, and I think that's true for a lot of the Canadian population. It, it, it's, we need to be able to start putting together the right practices in place. And it's something everyone wants to do, but it's more financial literacy through doing versus financial literacy through learning or education. So for us, Milo is helping you build those skills through action and, and, and get started and put money aside. And you know what? We hope that opens up the door to a more financially savvy consumer and, and, and seeking out the, the best product and service on, on the market. So um, that's really our, our objective at the end of the day is helping as many people as we can put together the right practices. And you know what? Sometimes they'll graduate from the Milo platform to a more sophisticated platform, which is totally great. Milo can also scale directly with the user uh, as well in terms of all their financial needs. Like uh, uh, there's no difference in, in investment strategy for us between, you know, $1, $100,000 or a million dollars. But that's what we want to do at the end of the day is just try to raise the overall bar in, in Canadian space. And it makes sense. I mean, you're absolutely right. You're not in competition with the average advisor because there was a really good article that Michael Kitts has published on, on basically sub-segments of the industry. And, you know, there's the obvious of uh, do-it-yourselfers, the delegators and the validators, the ones who just want you to tell you, the, you know, consult with you for a little bit, telling you you're doing the right thing, move on. But then there was the asset segments, right? So everybody's in competition for the, well, well, of course, the ultra high net worth down to, we'll call it to the mass mass affluent market, right? That's where the traditional market is basically segmented in or, or basically targeted. Then you have this other segment of the market that has good earnings, but not good assets, right? And you have this third segment of the market, which basically is tight on both, right? And frankly, I look at your product as being able to basically service the latter two very effectively. And this is probably the majority of the market as opposed to the minority. So yeah, good, good on you for basically turning people into, uh, into savers. So by all means, I, I hope you succeed because you're right. If guys like you succeed, there's more, there's more business for guys like me <laughs> if that happens. So before we wrap up, three questions that I ask everybody. The first one is if you had one wish for something you could change in the industry or company, what would it be? Open banking? <laughs> 
So I'll tell you why that's not my my wish. Um, open okay. banking, it's a blessing because it has more secure connections that are more reliable and stable and, and offer a better uh, user experience in the perfect world, but it's not a perfect world. So at the end of the day, if open banking comes and when open banking comes to Canada, they'll probably give the bare minimum of transactional information, bare minimum of data that you need. Yeah. You can get account numbers, so users might have to go back to taking photos of void checks to put it back in the app, right? So creating more friction rather than less friction, which would be absolutely a nightmare for, for the user, right? So open banking could actually help, but could also really hurt depending on how it's implemented. So, and I will say one thing, if you are, before you answer your question, if you are a technology person at a bank with some level of authority, let me just repeat what I've said in the past. Friction is not a way to keep your client. Friction is a way to piss them off. And I'll tell you right now, if one of you big five enterprises decides to ever be the one to say, you know what, we're not going to be a pain in the ass. We're going to do everything we can to enable open banking. It's a winner take all unless everybody else does the same move. So you can either be the person who steers into the disruption and gets the business for it, or you can be a jerk. Your call. Let's move on. Your, 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 your state, your, your answer. The one thing I'd have a wish for in, in, in the industry there are friction points with regulatory that I think there are new and technologies that have been around to be able to help enable this and make it more accessible to, to everyone. So um, I think a, a little bit of an easier process to be able to navigate those waters and, and be able to, to go and do so. I, I praised the regulators earlier about how I think they're there to protect the consumer and that they're, they're very open. But I'm not sure they're they're open enough yet. And photo ID, for example, is something that just came into effect uh, recently. You can verify your account, um, your identity okay. using photo ID now. So that's that's one thing I think we we've been a little bit behind on is is how do we get people up and running? The other thing we're behind on is our payment rails. For mm -hmm. a, uh, a country that has uh, some of the best banking infrastructure, we have some of the worst payment rails here. Um, <laughs> that causes poor user experiences. You know, like we send the money immediately when the user withdraws their money, but it only gets their bank account the next day, and that's on their bank. It's not on us, right? It, it's a it's a feature, not a bug. Yes. <laughs> Meaning that you want, they want it to be that way anyway, because exactly. otherwise, I mean, uh, you know, because if you can transfer money seamlessly to a Neil bank online, then they'd have more competition. They wouldn't have a pain in the butt friction point anyway. So <laughs> no surprise, this is turning into a bank bashing session for me, because anytime I get into this, we interview someone doing something good in your space, the biggest problem is always the existing infrastructure. So this may, so your wish may also relate to your second question. What's, what's been the biggest challenge in getting to where you are today? So it's interesting. I'll tell you a little bit about our seed fundraising experience. Pitched a lot of VCs. And during the seed round of funding, a lot of VCs made it pretty clear that it's more exciting to invest in a technology company that's not in the financial regulated space than a company like in fintech, where you have to spend millions of dollars building the right regulatory infrastructure and security infrastructure before you even onboard your first client, right? So the bar to get started in fintech is so much higher than the bar to get started in any other, almost any other industry. So uh, I think setting that bar so high with a bootstrap, limited resources to go and do so really made other companies that were not in the space a more attractive investment opportunity than a, a Milo, right? Once you get to that kind of growth stage, the, the tables turn a bit, but that was the, the real difficult part in the early stages. You just have to get everything up and running before you can go and validate, which kind of goes against the lean startup methodology. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I've had a couple of people come to me and say, you know, I want to go get funded on on this idea. It's like, okay, that's great. What have you built? Well, I have a pitch deck. I'm like, <laughs> good luck to you. Maybe you build something first because 
and maybe you, you know, sit down with the regulars and make sure you can do it first because otherwise no one wants to pay for your regular, your regulatory relations uh, until you actually get it going. So cost us a million bucks to get the first customer on the board. You know, it's, yeah. it, that's, that's the cost it takes to be up and running FinTech. It really is. But I mean, and we're talking about infinitely scalable systems, right? So it's like, it's like the old saying about developing for the US military. The first one costs $10 billion. The second one costs 10 cents, right? Yeah. <laughs> Same thing in pharmaceuticals. All right. So the last question is, what excites you the most about what you're working on and gets you up every morning to keep doing what you're doing? I would say the messages we get from our, our, our users. It is a volume business model for, for Milo, but the stories that people tell us, saving up to propose to their husband or uh, taking their first trip that they've taken, an emergency fund to help them feed their kids when they were in crisis, or most recently, a set of dogs that were adopted and they're now the new Milo dogs. We get updates all the time and they're fantastic. We, just hearing these stories and, and the impact you have in people's lives is, is just truly incredible. So, you know what, at the end of the day, if you can build a company that has a social mission and can also be sustainable in, in terms of economics, that's what I would strive for everyone to, to go and do. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the most wonderful part of my day job is when you get to do, you know, you're at the really impact effective change on people's lives and better their lives. And such a, how many industries can you really do that in? Like really have that kind of impact? Not many, right? And unfortunately, the tragedy is, is that all too often the people who need the most fundamental basic advice are the ones that we never see, either because they never come to us or because, you know, we can't afford to take them on because they're not scalable. So I'm thankful that guys like you are, are doing some of this that work. Uh, and for those of you who feel the same way as I do and are in Canada, the newly minted Financial Planning Association of Canada, we're organizing a pro bono, uh, a pro bono this uh, effort altogether. So if you're interested in that, visit our website. But anyway, so uh, thank you very much, Philip, for, for basically taking the time. This was great. I encourage everybody, as always, to check out uh, the guest apps and their sites. I think it's what you're doing is great. It's clean. It's very fundamentally needed. And you are targeting an underappreciated and underserviced part of the market that it desperately needs support. So thank you. Yeah. And thank you again for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So that was my interview with Phil from Milo. Hope you enjoyed that. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.